0: Take out your Bible opening this morning to Revelation chapter 15, Revelation chapter 15 and my earnest prayer this morning as we've sung that song just prior to this message is that to whatever extent that is true, my Jesus, I love thee right now. I pray that even through the revelation of this word that our earnest love for Christ would. Continue to increase and grow and expand, even as we see the, the more of the fullness of who Christ is for us as Christians today. Revelation chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. John writes, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do come to you once again this morning, and we are so grateful for... Lord, your presence with us, we're thankful for that. You're a God who, though you exist in transcendent triune glory, Father, you have made yourself known. You have condescended to your needy children this morning, and you've given us your word in propositional truths, and page after page after page, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, revealed to us greater glimpses of your glory. And Father, we, we fall down before the reality that Lord, even the the words on this page that capture your glory, they fall woefully short of really the, the true glory and greatness of the God that you are. These are just the highest and best expressions you can put into our language to help us to begin to think about the glorious God that you are. Father, I pray that this morning our hearts would be captivated by the God that you are. I pray that we would be captivated by the glory of Christ on display and and the fullness of Christ for us and our needs this day. Father, open our eyes to see. If there had been anyone here today, Lord, who's never seen Christ, never seen him as he is, in his fullness of glory, in his redemptive work, in his kingship upon the throne, and never understood that that Christianity is Christ, loving Christ supremely, Treasuring Christ supremely, living daily unto Christ. Father, we pray that today the Spirit would do what only He can do And opening those hearts and lives. And for those who are true believers here in the room, Father, we pray that you just continue to enhance and grow our love for Jesus. Lord, help us to understand that Christ is enough. Help us to turn away from all else. Help us to, to, to stop any drift that could be occurring in our lives, in our hearts causing us to, to drift away from Christ. Today, Father, may we return in repentance and faith that Christ is enough. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, we thank you for this word, and we pray it would have its intended effect upon our hearts. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. There's an old story and it's a common story. It's a common narrative going back to the, the 19th century of a servant, of a servant who was brutally punished, for stealing crops from his master and stealing them in order to feed other malnourished servants who had been denied their food for the day. They had not gathered up their quota of crops, and so the punishment was they didn't eat. And so this servant took it upon himself to go and steal some of the master's crops and go and feed the other servants. Well, the next day it was found out what the servant had done. And as you could imagine, the servant was severely and brutally beaten and was prescribed just an ongoing punishment to come because of his sin against his master. Well, rather than take that, the servant decided to do what others before him had done, to run away, to not stay in that position. And so the servant did just that upon nightfall kind of slid through the crops and took off. The servant ran approximately 15 miles, got away, and was just so overcome with exhaustion, just collapsed, fell down there. That was where the servant slept for the night. He awoke the next day still a little bit fearful. When would they realize he's missing? When would they come? And so he continued his journey, continued. It got to be about midday, and all was quiet. And all of a sudden, the servant began to to sing a song. He started feeling better, started to feel exhilarated. Freedom. And began to celebrate. And then suddenly, that song was interrupted. Because in the distance, he heard the barking of bloodhounds. And they were getting near. Terror struck. And he ran. Saying to himself knew it was too good to be true. I knew it was too good to be true that I could get away free. Sometimes salvation feels too good to be true. Sinners like us set free from our master, our flesh, our sin nature, from Satan, from the world around us, set free from our enslavement to these things, but Satan, our flesh, in the world is a master that's unwilling to let us go. And so he sends the bloodhounds out to draw us back. The bloodhounds of persecution, the bloodhounds of temptation, the bloodhounds of affliction to bring us back home. Satan wants his property back. The flesh wants its property back. The world wants us back. And in those moments where we feel the temptation in those moments where we feel the persecution, in those moments we, we are prone to think, I knew it was too good to be true. I knew it was too good to be true. And we've all been there at one time or another. Our text this morning is a remedy for that very thing. It's a tonic for that very circumstance, a sedative, if you will, to, to calm our anxieties, to calm our fears. When we Daily hear the bloodhounds barking after us, temptation, Satan, the world coming after us, trying to pull us back away from the king. And that's what Revelation has been teaching us in chapters 12, 13, and 14, that the dragon and his his, his beasts uh, are doing everything in their power to pull us away from Christ, to drift us away. The bloodhounds are barking day after day after day, but Revelation chapter 15 is an oasis, if you will, a remedy, a tonic that brings peace to our soul. With God's help this morning, I want us to see, first of all, that our God does provide an oasis for his children as we live in the foxhole of life. And that's what the Christian life is. If we're paying attention to the book of Revelation and the enemies, particularly chapters 12 and 13 and 14 where we've been and the great dragon and the beast of the land and the beast of the sea and the work that they are constantly doing to attack Christ's church, we have to understand the Christian life is lived in a foxhole with bullets flying all around us, persecution, affliction, suffering, hardship, temptation. But God here provides an oasis for His children in the foxhole of life, and then I want to ask, what is that oasis? And then thirdly, how does the Christian who right now today is hearing the barking of the bloodhounds getting closer and closer and closer? How does the Christian take advantage of that oasis to find the rest that the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ? provides to a soul so let's look at revelation chapter 15 together because that's what these first four four verses are about and let me set a little bit of context. We're not going to deal heavily with this, because, but this does set up what's coming next. Chapter 15, look at verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Verse 1 says what's about to come. Chapter 15, chapter 16 here, we're beginning a new cycle of visions. Keep in mind, the book of Revelation has been looking at the same period of time over and over and over again in cycles that's uh, the time between the the life death resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ until his return he's enthroned on high but the church is here on earth and in these cycles of visions that we've been going through we're looking at the same time period, looking at the same thing and this now section begins another cycle so we're going to be seeing the exact same thing we've been seeing from, again, a little bit different perspective. John will be drawing out different things that previously maybe he didn't focus on as heavily. So verse 1 tells us that this vision is, is setting forth a, a new cycle of visions, and it's ultimately the vision of the bold judgments which we'll be coming upon. So that's the context. This is kind of setting up that to going forward. But here in these opening four verses, we have a little bit of an interlude before we get to those bold judgments of wrath, an interlude. And I, I think as we read, and particularly if you, if you sit down and just open the book of Revelation just read through it, it's kind of hard when you just week after week just read and pause. We'll come back next week. Read and pause. We'll come back next week. If, if you actually take the time, this is something I encouraged you to do when we first began the study, uh, weekly, monthly, uh, whatever, Read through the book of Revelation. One of the things you see is this is an intense book. I mean, it is intense. But every once in a while, and it's so refreshing, every once in a while, there's just a, inserted a, a tension-relieving interlude that just breaks the tension momentarily. Now, it's coming back because we're going through cycles of judgment, right? So it's not going away. But every once in a while, all right, all right take a moment, breathe. Focus upon this. And it's a wonderful gift of God. We've been seeing this all throughout the book of Revelation. Think back to earlier, the message to the seven churches, all that's going on in the world around it. And then you come to chapter 4, verse 1, and God from the throne says, all right, I got more I need to say, but let's pause. Come up here and look. Come up here. Let me give you a perspective of me. That was an interlude. That just, kind of a pause. says, here, let me give you some grace. Let, let, me, let me take just a moment and, and let you breathe and see me, the God who is. We saw something similar in in chapter 8 after the breaking of the seven seals. I mean, that was incredibly intense. Then you have a a little bit of an interlude in chapter 8 where it just talks about the prayers of God's people. Maybe you remember that message. We talked about how how God uses the prayers and mingles it with the work of Christ to to make it a prayer that's appropriate to the Father. And it was just a time to rejoice that our God hears us. Our God hears his needy children. And yes, our prayers are often imperfect. We frame them in a very self-centered way so so often. But God himself takes it and fashions it, mixes it with Christ to make it perfect. It was just a wonderful, just a break. Well, here in chapter 15, verse 2, God graciously gives us another breather. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, man, we need it. Chapter 14 was pretty intense. Chapter 14 laid out the the final judgment, the, the great harvest, the bloodbath that is to come in final judgment. And that the only ones who won't endure that are those who... Endure to the end. And endurance, we spend a whole sermon on last Lord's Day, is, is done by grace. From start to finish, our only hope is God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so for, if chapter 14 has left us with a lot of soul-stirring realities that we have to continually be examining in our soul. In our soul. And now we're about to press on into the, the bold judgments. But how kind of our God, how beautiful it is, knowing our weaknesses knowing our need for i just i need i need grace for just a moment he gives us this tension relieving interlude here in verses 2 through 4 what's he getting at here the christian life is a battle it's a battle a battle from which we need a retreat every once in a while we need a retreat an oasis, a heavenly oasis. What's an oasis? Our kids down here are taking some notes this morning. Our, an oasis is is a, at the very least, it's a little stream of water. We're in the desert; it pops up, and in, in the desert, you're dry, you're thirsty, and I just I'm parched. I need water. And an oasis, there's a little green patch, and there's water there. But more broadly, an oasis, oasis is a, it's a retreat, it's a refreshment. It's a time of peace, and our Father here gives us a heavenly oasis in the midst of our battle because the Christian life is that. It's lived in a foxhole, if you will, with bullets flying all around us, temptations. Now, the rest of the chapter is going to be focusing upon the the bold judgments, but here, let me read it again, verse 2, we have a wonderful oasis from our God. John says, and I saw what appeared to be, verse 2, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast. Man, That's, that's what we just came out of, the battle against the beast and his, his, uh, his partners. But here I see those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. How wonderful. The Christian life does oftentimes feel like we're in a foxhole. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you're coming off of a week this week where you feel the weight of, let's just take Romans chapter 7. Remember what Paul says in, in Romans chapter seven. Oh, wretched man that I am, dealing with the, the reality of sin in his own soul, the, the battle against sin that Paul, almighty Paul, is dealing with. But as he pins that, man, the bullets of temptation to sin are flying. They're whizzing past his ear. He's living in a foxhole. We live in a foxhole in our battle against this triple-headed dragon. You have the dragon and his two beasts, and they're doing everything in their power. They couldn't defeat Christ. And now the battle's ultimately lost. But again, again, we saw in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he's going to use every last breath he's got to turn people away from the Christ that he so desperately hates. And he's going to be conniving. He's going to use a false gospel, a false Christianity that looks like the lamb but talks like the dragon, and people will gather together in religion, and they'll even use the name of the lamb. But it's not about the lamb. It's, again, to what we talked about with our kids this morning. It's a very self-centered religion, and the lamb is just kind of attached to it. All these things going on around us, and the question for us in the battle, is it worth it? Is it worth it? But then we come to the house of God and we're just going through the text. Some weeks I just have to preach what's there. This week he's kind to give us an oasis. This week we come and he gives us a preview of the victorious celebration that the people of God will experience in Christ. This is a forward-looking vision. Of the victorious celebration that the true believer in Christ will experience. And that, I think part of this is not just a hold on tight because this is coming in the future. I think he's also upholding this as principally, this is true for us now. Now we're awaiting the fulfillment of it. But take that vision and apply the principle of it now. In the foxhole, in the battle. Cling to this, the victory in Christ. It's almost as though God here in chapter 15, verse 2, in the midst of our battle, is saying, come up here. I got more, I'm, I'm about to lay something heavy on you in these bold judgments, but take a moment, come up here. Bring your trials, bring your affliction. Stand with me on the glass that looks like a still sea. And again, throughout the Revelation, the symbolism, water, the waves, the crashing of waves is always symbolic of the trials of this life, the affliction of this life. Look up at this vision. The water, what does it look like? Glassy sea. There's no waves. There's no crashing. Come and and find peace. Come and, and, and rest in this oasis for just a few minutes. And you'll know in the foxhole with the bloodhounds barking at you day after day after day. Oh, it's worth it. A thousand times over, it's worth it. Cling to your king. Last Lord's Day, we were talking about a marathon runner, and part of an interview I was looking at, and it's helpful in this week, an interview, a marathon runner was interviewed, and the question was asked in that interview, how do you press on for, I can't remember, 25, 26 miles, whatever it is, how do you keep pressing on for 25 miles? To which the runner replied, it's not that hard. The hard part is running uphill. But when I'm going uphill, the way I get through it is I picture crossing the finish line and hugging my wife and my kids. That's what presses me on through those uphill runs. That's exactly what God is giving us here. We in the foxhole, we who are in our uphill run, in our faithfulness to Jesus. Here, we, the, God gives us a vision to help us anticipate that future glory of crossing the finish line, of actually being in the presence of King Jesus, of actually worshiping him, pressing on, forgetting what lies behind. You've pressed on, you've made it, you're there. Look at what you get. You get Christ. So now, come back to the foxhole Forget what lies behind. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on uphill. Don't fight. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't put your eyes somewhere else. Don't try to use some other tactic. Keep your eyes on Christ. He's what this is all about. And he's enough. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan, said about the Christian life, he said, tis sweaty work all the way to heaven. That's just Puritan language of saying the Christian life is hard. It's sweaty work to get to heaven. Yes, our hope is in Christ. He has done it all. But we're clinging to him all the way there, and that is hard, especially with the bloodhounds barking trying to pull us away from Christ. But this vision here is you're going to make it. If you cling to Christ, you're going to make it. And so I want us to understand here, verses 2, 3, and 4, is a heavenly oasis to reassure you and I this morning in the battle, in the foxhole, coming out of whatever week we just came out of, or whatever month we've just came out of, or whatever year we're in the midst of. To, to remind us, Christ will bring His people through. The blood of Christ that saved you is sufficient. He who began the good work in you through Christ will see it through to completion. You will be part of this victorious celebra- celebration that you see here on the sea of glass. There, you're, though you live today and the waves are crashing all on you, and this morning some of you come in, probably all of us, were drenched because the waves have been crashing upon us this week. The bloodhounds have been coming and barking and temptation and all kinds of hardships. But here this vision is, but look, the sea will be still. It will be smooth as glassy as glass. And you will take harps in hand and in that moment sing praises to Almighty God. You see what he's doing here. Maybe you, like even I, have tried to prepare yourself for worship today. And maybe this week you tried to do something, but you found yourself in a foxhole. You found yourself, the bloodhounds are coming and they're barking and temptation pulling you away from Christ. The dragon, the world. And you're thinking like that servant, I knew it was too good to be true. I'm trying, but the bloodhounds are trying to pull me back to my old master. The vision here is, look at Christ. Christ himself said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you a place around my throne, around the glassy sea. We just sang about holy, 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 around the glassy sea. It's a picture here of this very thing. So Christian, don't give up. We sing a song there. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord. And part of the last line of the last verse. To those who are battling in the Christian life, and this is the reason I put this song in there, it ends this. To those who are fighting and battling, I will never, no never, no never forsake. That's what Revelation 15 is about here. He's provided all the grace that we need in the midst of our living the Christian life. So that brings us to the question. And the question being, well, what is the oasis? Uh, We we need to dig into the text. The text is laying before us an oasis for the Christian in the foxhole to drink from. What is the oasis? Well, let's keep reading into the text. John sees this vision of the believers standing on the sea of glass. They have harps in hand. They're singing praises to the Lamb who sits on the throne. And John actually hears. He can make out what they're saying. Verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Okay, what does that mean? What what does it mean they're singing the the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb? Well, it means they're singing something very similar to what we see in the Old Testament, the song of Moses. Where do we find that? Exodus chapter 15. And if you open your Bible to Exodus 15, you'll probably find something like, at the, the heading above that, the song of Moses. And that song comes on the heels of Israel being delivered from Egypt. They've been delivered from the Red Sea. And Pharaoh, the the enemy, the great dragon, if you will, in the imagery, the dragon and his beast, has been drowned in the Red Sea. And so now the people of God are standing on the other side of the Red Sea, and they're celebrating with what is titled the Song of Moses. And what what is happening here in this vision is there's a parallel being drawn between the victory of God's people in crossing the Red Sea by God's grace and the Song of the Lamb, where God's people are redeemed, saved from their Red Sea experience, their bondage to Egypt, bondage to sin, bondage to Satan, bondage to the world. Right, the bloodhounds who are barking—they're singing, "Christ has done it." There's a parallel here when these two things are being paralleled together. So, what is the song of Moses? Just. Quickly, just kind of, Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, says this, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Well, just for a moment, what has he done? What is the glorious triumph there? Well, you can go all the way back to the beginning of Exodus. You have Moses sent by God to the slave master, Pharaoh, And says, the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh replies to him, I don't know who the Lord is. I have no idea. Why why in the world should I listen to him? The Lord means nothing to me. I'm not letting go. And so, I'll kind of fast forward a little bit. Ultimately, God broke his fingers. God said, let my people go. He said, I'm not doing it. I'm holding on with my ten fingers. Fine, I'll send ten plagues. I'm breaking every one of your fingers. And I will take what is mine. Plague by plague, until the last finger's broken, with that tenth plague, the angel of death coming and killing the firstborn in Egypt, everyone that doesn't have the blood on the doorpost. And in that moment, he who once said, I don't know the Lord, I don't have to do what he says, I will never let go, this people go, according to the wishes of the Lord. Oh, he let them go. He let them go. And in fact, he said, take them. Get out of here. Be gone. So Israel, after 400 years of captivity in bondage, was set free. They were able to leave Egypt, and they were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? And that was God leading them through the wilderness, taking them out of Egypt to where he intends to take them, the promised land. And in the providence of God, they've never felt so happy before. They're singing and celebrating. They've got their freedom. Under the cover of night, they leave and they've gotten away, singing praises to God. And then they hear the bloodhounds barking because in Exodus chapter 14, verse 8, we read that God did a work in Pharaoh's heart. He changed his heart, and Pharaoh was awakened. What have I done? And so Pharaoh sends out his bloodhounds, 600 chariots, to go and chase down, to pursue and chase down the children of Israel and bring them back. And the people of God are in a bad place. The pillar of fire by day and the pillar of fire by night has brought them to a dead end. The Red Sea in front of them. A mountain range over here, a mountain range over here, and the bloodhounds are coming behind them. Can you imagine? I knew it was too good to be true. I knew it was too good to be true. We thought God had done it, had delivered us, had brought us, And he brought us to this point, what? Just so the bloodhounds will will maul us and bring us back. The reality is that's a picture of the Christian life for many of us. I was enslaved by sin. I was enslaved to the world. I was enslaved to Satan, the prince of this world. But Christ Jesus set me free by his blood. By grace, I believed in him. By grace, I brushed the blood of Christ over the doorpost of my soul so that the angel of death was passed on to another. Another died, not me. And I was liberated from my sins. My life has been changed. And Christ leads me, he's my king. And yet this week, this morning, I find myself, the Red Sea in front of me, mountain ranges behind me, and the bloodhounds coming behind me. You feel all hemmed up. You feel broken. And, and, And you're thinking in your heart, I knew it was too good to be true. I mean, we can talk on Sunday mornings about the blood of Jesus Christ, but week in and week out practically in our soul do we not feel the the presence of the dragon and his beasts and the influence and all that we've been foretold that he's doing in the world to Christ's church to pull us away from Christ do we not feel that and do we not with that question is it real as I give way to sin as I give way to the hands, as I do at times drift to become more worldly as I do oftentimes compromise do we not ourselves say, I knew it was too good to be true? Christ couldn't possibly redeem one such as I. The comfort of Revelation 15 is that we'll go back. What did God do for Israel when they were in that very situation? When they were hemmed in on all sides and the, the enemy was attacking? What did God do? Did God abandon them? Did God say, Well, sorry, tricked you? No the Spirit of God blew a dead gum hole in the Red Sea. So powerful that the, the dry land was underneath it. They walked through, and then once they get across, if he blew it, he inhaled and let it all come back down as Pharaoh, the great dragon, and his beasts, as the bloodhounds chased them down, the waters which stood like walls for Israel to pass came crashing down upon Pharaoh and upon his bloodhounds. And Exodus 14 closes with this. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day. And that's so important. It's going to be key in understanding Revelation 15. The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel, they looked back, and they saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then we read chapter 15, verse 1. Then, and you've got to just picture it, while the spray of water is still on their face, they're still drenched from the wall. They went through on dry ground, and then God just let it all go. Can you imagine the burst of water that would have made mean, They're still covered in the spray. But then, Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has done it. Salvation. It wasn't too good to be true. When the bloodhounds came chasing, yet God sustained us. God brought us through. God did everything that was necessary. Freedom, salvation is ours. Now, how does this benefit us? Because we aren't Israel and we aren't living in that day. Verse 3. They Around the throne on the glassy sea sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Their parallel is they're one and the same. It's the same song. What God did to Israel in redeeming through the Red Sea was but a foreshadowing, a picture of what he's done for his people in Jesus Christ. Why is the song of Moses a comfort to us? Because it's an oasis for us. It's the same song of the Lamb. So whether we would be wedged between the Red Sea, the mountain range, and the bloodhounds of Egypt coming after us, or or you're in a foxhole this morning and the bullets of the the bloodhounds of Satan and his enemies are are coming all around us, creating all kinds of fear, all kinds of doubt, all kinds of concerns, hurts, afflictions, temptations, weaknesses. If If you're a true believer... The Lord will provide. The Lord has provided. He has provided an oasis for you in the foxhole. It says Just as he's done before, so he will do for you. We can often feel lonely and alienated in the foxhole like we're the only one there and nobody else knows. Revelation 15 is that that's not true. Now, it may be true. Nobody else knows. But God knows, and God is ministering to you and I, his people here this morning in Revelation 15, saying, trust me, the bloodhounds are barking, I get it, the bullets are flying, temptation, you're being tossed to and fro, the waves are crashing, look up, look at Christ, look around the throne, look at crossing the finish line, look at what you get, trust me, I'll get you there. Cast your cares upon me. Cast your hopes upon me, upon Christ, upon everything. Cling to me. One day, look up there, there'll be no more battle. There'll be no more temptation, no more sin, no more cancer, no more hospital visits, no more infections, no more tears, no more suffering. Look, the, the water is like a glassy sea. It's not there anymore. One day, Revelation twenty ten will be fulfilled and all of those waves that crash on us here and now will be done away with and you will stand on that glassy sea, and you will sing to the praise of Christ the song of the Lamb, the song of Moses. Because when it felt like day after day after day, it was too good to be true. Maybe, just maybe, the bloodhounds will cause me to drift away from Christ. God says, I've given you everything you need. Drink from the oasis. What is the oasis? It's Christ. The oasis is Christ. Everything that he's painting here in this picture, one day, all these things will be no more. Around, singing to Christ, a glassy sea. Where did it go? Who conquered them? Christ. Christ is the victor. Christ is the one who suffered and died and rose again. Christ is the one who right now is sitting enthroned on high at the right hand of the God. Christ is the one who brings his people to be with him. And one day, the vision here is that it will be a reality, but principally for you and I today, it is so sure we can apply that today. By looking to Jesus. By feasting on him. By resting upon him, drinking from the fountain that is Christ. There's a reason why. Revelation uses the picture of waves. And again, this is a biblical picture, waves of being afflictions and hardships. There's a reason why in Jesus' public ministry we see things like this. He comes riding on the waves when the boat is crashing and the disciples are in despair, and who is it who comes out on the waves? It's Christ himself. And he says, it is I, be not afraid. There's a reason why he can calm the waves and calm the storm simply by saying, be still. Those things foreshadow this picture. Around the glassy sea, there's no more waves. Why? Why? because the Christ who gave us a foreshadowing of what he can do and will do in the life of the believer has done it. He's called the sea, peace, be still. He's the victor, he's sovereign. And so John is saying to you and I this morning, in the midst of these storms, in the midst of these waves, with the trumpet judgments and the seal judgments and all these things going on around us, I saw the saints around the throne. And this is what Christ does for the believer. Christ is an oasis to take you from where you are, to nourish you, to keep you, to sustain you, to endure you. What did we say last week? The key to endurance is, it's not willpower. It's not this week I'm going to do this, 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 and this. It is Christ. Christ is our hope. Christ is the oasis. So in this text... We see God provides an oasis for his needy children. We see that Christ is that oasis. That leaves with one more very practical question. I've got the dynamics in place. There is an oasis available to the believer. Christ is that oasis. Here's the application question. How does the believer who hears the echo of the bloodhounds bark on their heels, getting closer and closer how do I today take advantage of this oasis? How do I today utilize this oasis that I might not be drifted away, but that I might continue on faithfully to Jesus? And the answer is in the song that they sing. The answer is in the song of Moses and in the song of the Lamb. Verse 3. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. What are they singing there? They're singing God. I mean, let's, let's just be very clear here. What are they singing? They're singing God. They're celebrating the most high God. And let me, let me meditate with you on that for just a few moments. They're, they're singing God. What are they singing? They're celebrating, they're singing his attributes. They sing about his omnipotence. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Do you see that? His omnipotence, his power. They sing about his justice and his veracity, his truthfulness. We were talking this morning about honesty, about the, the truthfulness of God. Just and true are your ways. They're talking about God. Stay with me here. His holiness. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All of these things are what? They're attributes of God. And these are not just static theological truths. Yes, God is holy. God is true. God is righteous. They are feasting on these. They are eating on these things. They're celebrating his His attributes. They're celebrating his works. Great and amazing are your deeds. Just and true are your ways. For your righteous acts have been revealed. They're, They're feasting on who God is. They're feasting on his works. They're celebrating his names. Lord God Almighty, King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? And then they're celebrating the very act of worshiping God for all nations will come and worship you. His attributes, his works, his names, his worship, his renown. What are they singing? They're singing God. Everything is God. Every phrase of this song is God. It's his names. It's his attributes. It's his works. It's his worship. These at the finish line are consumed by God. All of life to them is about God. It's not about them. It's not about me. It's about singing praise to the glory, the excellency, the wonder of our triune God. It's about bowing down into the dust and worshiping the exalted king. Our God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and it's from him all blessings flow. And this is the heartbeat of Christianity, of biblical Christianity. That the eternal, holy, triune, transcendent, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God who is, that God, becomes, in the person of Jesus Christ, personal. A glorious, exalted, warm, personal, intimate father to his adopted children. We can talk about the attributes of God and they can be so distant and so transcendent and we can pray, God, you've done this, you've done that and we don't feast on them one bit. We know them, but we don't savor them. We don't approach, but what's happening here is we have this oasis that is Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the names of Christ, the fullness of who Christ is, the worship of Christ and they are feasting on Jesus bowing to him, giving him the worship he deserves. We might put as the title of the song of the Lamb, the the song of Moses in verses 3 and 4, you've probably heard the Latin term, soli deo gloria, for the glory of God, because that's what the song is. It's God's attributes, God's works, God's names, God's worship. That's the eternal song. would God give us this vision of a song that we'll sing sometime in the future? Because it's always been the Christian song. It's always been the song of the believer. The song of the Lamb. In the foxhole, with the bullets flying, with the bloodhounds barking, with all of our doubts, with all of our fears, with all of our concerns, the oasis has been given in Christ. Drink! Drink! Drink from it. Drink by singing this song, not just verbally, great, put it to music, do it, but in your heart, feasting upon Christ. Feasting upon the song, it's God. To the glory be God. God's done it all, God's person, God's work. Your hope is in God, in Jesus Christ. And just as in the Old Testament, when the lamb was sacrificed, you you probably know this, you may not, but when they sacrificed the lamb, they didn't waste any part of it. Every part of it was utilized in some way or manner. Likewise, when it comes to the song of the lamb, drinking of the oasis is drinking of Christ. And don't waste a single part of it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an eternal gospel. We've been thinking about that in recent weeks. Just like no part of the lamb was wasted in the sacrifice, so too every part of Christ we must feast upon to keep our soul pressing on, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on in Jesus Christ. His name, his works, his attributes, the whole song of salvation in the foxhole, meditating on Jesus this morning, that is the answer in the foxhole, with the bullets flying, with the bloodhounds barking, with your questions, with your concerns, with your doubts, with your weaknesses, with your failures. Look to Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Feast upon Jesus. Drink. Drink. Don't waste any of it, because Christ Jesus was not just for, you know, about 33 years on earth. Go to eternity past. The eternal Son of God entering into a covenant of redemption with the Father for the people of God, those who God chose from before the foundation of the world. Cling to that Christ, cling to God's uh, purposes, cling to the work of Christ and promising to the Father, I will do everything necessary to not just begin the redemption for this individual, but to see them through to completion. Read the Old Testament, Jesus himself said in Luke 24, it was all about me, all of it was about me. You can go to any Old Testament passage this week, open it up and drink, and prayerfully, I'm not saying it comes to us intuitively, but prayerfully, God, open my eyes to see Christ, to see how this opens up Christ, because I'm in the foxhole, and I need my king, and he's more than just 33 years on earth, and then a cross, and he dies and and raises again. There's, there's, There's a fullness of Christ that's on display there that I so desperately need. His incarnation, His miracles, His obedience. Go to Gethsemane. Some of us in our Looking Unto Jesus study, we spent all Wednesday night just focusing upon Gethsemane, looking unto Jesus in Gethsemane and seeing the fullness of who Christ is and what is taking place there. Go to Gethsemane. Go to Golgotha. He endured all of that for a sinner like you. Go to his resurrection. Go to his ascension. Go back to the book of Revelation, his kingship on the throne. Go and review everything that's been told to us about Jesus and drink. Don't just learn facts about Jesus. Drink from the oasis that is Jesus because it's God's provision to you and I. This morning, This text is intended to be an oasis for our souls. This morning, this vision of the saints around the throne—they've crossed the finish line, singing with the harps of God, the song of the Lamb, the song of the is pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is the oasis. Jesus is the one who got those us from where we are now to where we see ourselves in that vision. So now let's return. We're in the foxhole. How do I get from here to there? Christ gets you there. Cling to him. Meditate upon him. Feast on Christ. In Christ is grace upon grace upon grace. You're just like me. The bloodhounds are barking. And the temptation, Satan's tactic, it's too good to be true. I knew it was too good to be true. But the God who began a good work in us will see it through to completion in Christ Jesus. And the means of grace he uses is Jesus. He is enough. He is all. This week, return to the song of the Lamb. Return to this. Focus upon what it's singing. Don't let static truths of holiness and righteousness and just and true just stay there. Don't just keep it a category. Pray that God would help you in the foxhole. Utilize what that means. And cling to your King cling to him.